to episode 8 of the Underground Christian Podcast, the source for information and analysis of the modern world, with a Christian twist. The modern world is not looking very normal right now. The American government continues its concerted effort to divide the American people and pit us against each other. It tries very hard to depict one group as virtuous and another group as evil. The virtuous, for example, can't tell the difference between men and women, but the evil ones can. The virtuous embrace debased forms of sexuality. The evil ones reject them. The virtuous ones want to destroy police and release criminals to the street. The evil ones don't. The virtuous invite millions of people to walk into America unimpeded, unchecked, unvetted, and frequently diseased. The evil ones want to keep the uninvited out. The virtuous enlightened ones understand that a woman must be able to kill her developing baby at will, up to and including the point of birth, whereas the evil unenlightened ones call it murder. The virtuous abandon Americans and allies in their zeal to run away from a conflict, leaving billions of dollars of the most deadly military equipment with a regime that has committed itself to destroying America, and then congratulate themselves on a job well done. The evil masses call for justice, resignations, and accountability, only to be dismissively ignored. The virtuous embrace a cocktail of unproven, undisclosed gene-altering substances that they willfully and eagerly inject into their bodies to combat a virus that has a 99.975% chance of survival among the vast majority of the population, even without treatment, whereas the dangerous evil ones want their bodies left alone. The virtuous demand obedience to their cocktail campaign and punish non-compliance by revoking the refuser's education, terminating their employment, ejecting them from their housing, terminating their health care, and soon banning them from purchasing food and other necessities. The evil ones meekly plead to be left alone to choose what's best for their own bodies and their own moral choices. America is not what it once was. This is not the America that the evil ones once proclaimed, in God we trust. No, instead, the virtuous proclaim, in pharma we trust, and in mainstream media we trust, and in government we trust. Speaking of God, I wonder how many people in America today could answer the very first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, a question that's appropriate for non-Christians as well as Christians. Now, the Westminster Shorter Catechism is just a document that was used in the 17th century to teach little children the fundamentals of the Reformed Christian faith. Little children could answer these questions. So, the first question is, what is the chief purpose for which man is made? Or, to put it in more modern language, what is the ultimate purpose of each person? Now, I guarantee the virtuous ones will have very different answers than the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which states, The purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Virtually everything in the world today works against this primary purpose. The world is, if anything, antagonistic to God. In fact, the Bible says the world is the enemy of God. James 4.4 says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And in Romans 8, 7, Paul says the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. Recall what the world is in the Bible. The world is the political, economic, and social system 
that has been constructed by Satan to oppose the things of God. In this world system, opposition to God is created by the flesh, which is our intimate connection to physical reality and the temptations it brings. The Apostle John, in that famous passage of 1 John 2, verses 15 to 16, summed up this relationship. He said, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, definitions are important, and Dictionary.com does a good job defining the word lust. It's defined as a passionate or overmastering desire or craving. Lust, in other words, competes with God for our attentions, desires, and focus. That makes lust an idol. The lusts of the flesh are things that we experience physically that draw our attention and desire away from God. This can include things like um, wrong sexual cravings, you know, uh, the kind of sex that the, the uh, virtuous people like, gluttony, eating too much food or, you know, too much stuff makes us fat, avarice, which is the hoarding and collecting of things, keeping them from other people just for the sake of having them, intoxication of all kinds by, you know, alcohol and drugs, those are, those are big, beautification, all of the beauty things, and you've seen them, you know, the magazines everywhere with all the beautiful people on them, you know, and the clothes and the stuff, all forms of beautification and all forms of sensuality generally that oppose God. The lusts of the eyes, on the other hand, are things that we see and want, but we don't have them. They are objects that capture and hold our thoughts and passions through visual appeal, and they compete with God for our desires and our intentions. These things can include our partners, beautiful people, you know, our beautiful partners that we have. Opulent houses. We want the most beautiful things, the yards and the fences and the, you know, the acreage and all that. Luxury vehicles. I mean, who doesn't want the Bentley, right? Expensive jewelry. I see people walking around with gold, you know, things around their necks and huge giant diamonds on their hands. Um, those sorts of things. Gourmet foods. Those can compete for God. You know, gosh, I know people who they live to go out and eat some of the great foods of the world. You know, and exotic vacations. How many people work, you know, 50 weeks a year so that they can spend a week or two off on some exotic vacation? That is their, you know, that's what they're living for. Lastly, the boastful pride of life is our incessant desire to obtain everything and anything that makes us feel special and important. Things that come to mind include prestigious jobs. We, we want to feel important when we have a prestigious job. I mean, that's where we demonstrate who we are. Leadership roles. Within those jobs, we want to be the leaders because, well, that's, a, that's prestige. That brings, that brings fame and at least a little bit of fame, you know, local fame to us and, and prestige. Titles and tiaras. I love that phrase. Titles and tiaras. How many letters do I have after my name? How, how many degrees have I accumulated? What sorts of titles do I, have I been bequeathed by, you know, various people? Honoraria kind of goes with that. How many honors and awards have I accumulated? Vicarious honoraria through our children. How many people do you know who live that life they didn't live through their children? I mean, everything is about their children, and they, they just want to live through their children. Conspicuous wealth. 
I mean, God doesn't say you can't have wealth, but what he doesn't want you to do is go around flaunting that wealth, because what does that do? That attracts attention to me. That, that creates a special and important feeling about me. Power. That's the, that's the ultimate boastful pride of life. How I can exert power over other people. And with that goes authority. What positions do I hold that enable me to wield my power? The boastful pride of life are obsessions of the mind that pit our will against God's will so that we place ourselves in the position of God rather than submitting to him as our leader and ruler. All of these things are tools that are used by Satan to keep us as far away from God as possible. The reason Paul said that the carnal mind is incapable of obeying God's law is because the carnal mind fixates and obsesses on the lusts and prides that directly oppose God's law. And when we oppose God's law, we break it. I think it's uh, no secret that lawbreakers put themselves in essence, in their own mind, above the law as if they made the law. I mean, why else would we break the law? Are we just saying, well, I don't need to follow that. I'm more important than it is. When we put ourselves in the position of a lawgiver, we place ourselves into direct conflict and thereby enmity with God. Why do we do this? Well, because that's how we're made. We can't resist the flesh while we live in this body because we have a heart that is insensitive to God, but is really sensitive to carnality. Remember that the heart is the command center and engine of our desires and our will. Our heart is our problem. Our heart needs to be changed. Our spiritual heart is, because it is, a, you know, it's a spiritual thing. I'm not talking about the fleshy heart. I'm talking about the spiritual heart. Our spiritual heart is formed when we are conceived physically, and it's the product of spiritual reproduction. Let me say that again, because that's a mouthful. Our spiritual heart is formed when we're conceived physically, and it's the product of spiritual reproduction. Now, the Jewish symbol of God's covenant, physical circumcision, symbolizes the removal of something spiritual that's necessary for us to be reborn into God's family. The covenant was all about bringing the, God's people, the Jews, into his family, ultimately. That's what it's really about. How is that done? Well, he had a symbol, the circumcision, the removal of some things from, you know, the, the male thing there. Um, and to do that, you had to cut it off. Well, it symbolizes the removal and replacement of something. And that something is our heart. That's the problem that Christ came to solve. When laws are broken, lawbreakers have to pay the price. Now, the price for breaking God's laws uh, which is, you know, called sin, is death. For the wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6.23. Since all people sin, no one is able to pay this price because we're all spiritually convicted and held inside Satan's spiritual prison waiting for our spiritual death sentence. That's what's meant by we are slaves to sin. Only a sinless person has the ability to serve a punishment for another sinner. This is why it took God to save us. Only God has the ability to live a perfect, sin-free life in the form of a man. The person who did this, Jesus Christ, came to free us spiritually from that spiritual prison. Christ paid the price that we deserve. He paid the debt that we had to pay. He paid the penalty we deserve when he died on the cross. 
He didn't do it gratuitously, though. It's not a free offer, although it is a gift that we don't deserve. His offer of salvation comes with a price. The price is the surgical removal of our old heart and the implantation of a new heart that will seek God. And that's the rub. Most people don't really want a new heart. They're really happy with their old model. They love their sin and they have no desire to change the status quo. Those who take the deal become members of Christ's immediate family and future earthly kingdom. This is the church. These are the members of the church. Now, Jesus is going to run a political and social system on the earth that replaces the current system that's run by Satan. And he's going to fill that system, and the people who are going to lead it are going to be the people in his kingdom. Those are the Christians. Now, so to be a Christian, we have to want to be changed because, you know, we have a heart that isn't going to work in his kingdom. We get changed when we decide we want to become Christians. We get changed a little bit while we live here on this earth. And it's only a little bit because, as the Bible says, we have a body of death. Our body, remember, has something in it that we need to get rid of. It's something that causes us to sin. It's like built into our body. It's a body of death. So while we're in this body, we're going to, we're going to keep sinning. Um, hopefully we won't sin as much and, but because we get, we get our heart changed while we're in this body. And that creates a conflict with, with our, in our soul where we, we want to sin, but we don't want to sin at the same time. Now, we get changed a little here on the earth, but we get changed a whole lot more after we die so that we can be appropriately prepared to come back in our new and vastly improved body that is run by a new and vastly improved heart. This is a body that's not going to get sick, injured, or die, and it's not going to desire or permit sin. This is the promise that God gives us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But again, most people aren't the least bit interested. Now listen, and this is very important if you want to understand why things are happening the way they are in this world. Satan is fighting a war with God. I don't know all the rules of this war, but I do know there are rules because all wars have rules. God is the ultimate judge and all judges use and enforce rules. God's commandments are rules. There are some rules for angels, and we know this because there are angels that are currently being held in chains for breaking them. Chains, you know, that's what the Bible says. I'm sure they're spiritual chains. They live under rules, they being angels, even if we don't know exactly what those rules are. Satan is an angel, so Satan is living under some rules. Now, God wants human beings to live with him, but Satan wants to prevent that. That's why the Garden of Eden event took place. I believe there were some rules involved in that event that Satan leveraged to obtain authority over the earth and over all human beings. One rule is that Satan claims a soul when it commits its first sin. Sin comes via temptation, and temptation comes via Satan and his angels. Since sin is embedded in our human flesh, we all sin when we're tempted by something enticing. To Satan, if all he had to do was to tempt us to sin, then it had to seem to him that God could not possibly beat him at this game, because we all sin, and he knew that. Satan could claim authority over everyone who lived in his kingdom, no matter how much time God had wanted to play this game. So Satan figured he couldn't lose. 
Uh, but God had another plan, a secret plan. He just needed one human being to make it to adulthood who did not sin, and then that human being could be sacrificed to redeem or buy back the sinners to God, at least those who want to be bought back. Satan was an exceptionally high-ranking angel of God. He knew the holiness of God. He knew the majesty of God, and he knew the magnificence of God. It therefore never occurred to him that God could, much less would, lower himself far beneath the angels to become a smelly, corporeal man just to live a sinless life for us. Satan, who hates everything completely, could not comprehend the love of God. Now, once Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, Satan perceived the direct threat to his kingdom and his life, you know, his spiritual life. Jesus said, I will build my kingdom, and that's the church, and the gates of hell, which is part of Satan's domain, will not prevail against it. The church invaded Satan's kingdom. And what is his kingdom again? It's the world and the things of the world. That's why John says that Christians should not love the world or the things of the world, because love is what we give to things of great value. And the tools of Satan are of no value to Christ and his kingdom. We need some material things to live our current lives, but we're to first give our heart and affections to God, and then he will add those things to us, not Satan. So we are here in Satan's world. Jesus is building his church in this world, and when it reaches a certain size, Jesus is going to return and depose Satan. We know this is true because Romans 11.25 tells us when it's going to end, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, Gentiles, that's non-Jews, are the main component of the church, which is a living structure. It's not the buildings. It's a spiritually living structure. When the church is fully built, in other words, when it reaches a certain number of souls, Jesus is going to return and complete his mission which is bat return to the earth and complete his mission physically, which is really bad news for those who are opposed to God and for Satan and his angels. Satan doesn't have any intention of going out like a lamb. He wants to keep Jesus from claiming a victory, and he still has a few options left. I'm going to go through these because these are important and to understand what's going on today. Number one, he could trick people into believing they are members of the church when they're really not members of the church. In other words, he can deceive them into thinking they're Christians. Now, this is going to slow down the church-building effort, but it's not going to stop it because Christ is eventually going to reach his goal. He said, I'm going to build my church, and he's not going to stop me. So, while it's a good delay tactic, it's not a, it's not a good victory tactic. But it's a tactic that's being used. Number two, he can kill all the Jews. The next verse of Romans 11, verse 26, says what will happen when Christ returns. What it says is whatever Jews are left are going to be redeemed, bought back, and grafted into the church as well. That's the Israel that the Bible speaks about throughout the whole Old Testament and much of the New Testament. To stop this, Satan can try to kill all the Jews so that the verse can't be fulfilled. Satan wins if he proves God a liar. This is why Adolf Hitler came on the scene with his psychotic hatred of Jews. Didn't quite work out, but maybe it will in the future. 
So Satan could try again, and we have to continue to observe, you know, irrational, hate-filled anti-Semitism, which is what fuels that kind of an that kind of an effort. Number three, Satan could kill the whole physical church. He could destroy it from within and from without to prevent it from reaching its ordained size. Now, this attempt has arguably been underway ever since the church got started, but Jesus and the Holy Spirit are there to protect it, so this plan isn't really going to work, although he can cause a whole lot of damage trying. Number four, if all else fails, he can kill every one of us, every single person. Now, until recently, that was not even remotely possible, but given nuclear, chemical, and especially biological warfare advances, and now artificial intelligence coupled with robotics, this approach seems to be within his reach. All he needs is a small group of psychopaths in positions of power and influence, and it has a real chance. Satan is not acting much like a defeated foe, and he's not given up trying to beat God, and Christ does not yet rule physically on the earth. Satan rules, and he makes it plain as day for anyone who can see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Last week, we heard about the number 33 and how often it has shown up in association with COVID. I did a check at the um, request of my lovely wife, and I checked other numbers, and while they do show up uh, occasionally in, in the headlines, not anywhere near the frequency of the number 33. Now, we didn't exactly go into what 33 means. We're going to get there. Remember, I said in past episodes that the explanations for COVID are outside the normal explanations. And whenever something is out that I'm talking about, you know, the, the official explanations for it. And whenever something is outside the normal explanations, we need to dig deeper to see what else might be going on. It's not normal what's going on with COVID. Satan advertises his power. That's kind of a rule. Whether he's compelled by God to do that or he does it out of pride and arrogance, I don't know. But he advertises his power, and so do his minions. They can't help it. And so we can use their advertisements to kind of evaluate what's going on, especially with regard to COVID. Remember, the whole world belongs to Satan, and that means the whole political, economic, social world of power and influence. Not all the little people, but a lot of them. Satan uses symbolism to display his power, advertise his intentions, and mock God. He plays mind games with symbols. He loves symbols because God loves symbols. So here's an introduction to just a few of his symbols, especially some recent ones. Let's start with coronavirus. Corona, the word corona, is Latin for crown or wreath. The similar word in Greek means garland or wreath. It is the crown of a victor, not of a king. Now listen to what it says in Revelation 6, verses 1 and 2. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. That's the first judgment. That's the first seal that's open. The word for crown in this verse in Greek is stephanos. And it means a twine or a wreath that is wrapped around a head signifying honor and victory, particularly in competitions. Now, a bow in this verse is an indirect weapon. 
It's a weapon that's used at a distance. Ignore people who say that there are no arrows, so he's a false peacemaker. It doesn't say there are no arrows either. It's a weapon to be used at a distance from the wielder, just like a bioweapon that would be deployed via, let's say, a vaccine. That's a weapon used at a distance from the person that wields it. The word conquering in that verse is nikeo, and it means to overcome or get the victory. Now, according to the CDC, the term COVID-19 is derived from the words coronavirus disease 2019. Satan, and I, I use the term Satan in the generic sense of, of himself and all of his followers, Satan loves to disguise his intentions in plain sight. He camouflages them, but where we can see them. COVID-19 can also mean something else. It can mean Certificate of Vaccination Identification Artificial Intelligence, or AI. A is the first letter, one, and I is the ninth letter, nine, COVID-19. It is the means by which the Chinese social tracking system will be implemented through certificates of vaccination using artificial intelligence networks. All of these components are already designed and are being put into place. Bill Gates, aka the father of the vaccine, took out patent number WO, World Order, 2020. 060606. Uh, Satan loves numbers. It is a patent for a cryptocurrency system, that's a one world economic system, that uses body activity data, which requires an operating system to be emplaced within our bodies. Patent 2020-060606. You can go look it up. Bill Gates has a spiritual advisor whose name is Marina Abramovich. If you don't know who Marina Abramovich is, you should go to the Google and look up spirit cooking in Marina. You don't do it on a full stomach. You might want to do it on an empty stomach. She is a very proud artiste who immerses her work in satanic symbology and satanic ritual. And she is his spiritual advisor. Tells you a little bit about Mr. Gates. Another thing about Mr. Gates is that he has been a guest at Jeffrey Epstein's island many, many times. He was good friends with Jeffrey Epstein, and he doesn't like to talk about it. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has been instrumental in funding the development of the warp speed injection potions and their distributions around the world. This very vaccine, or actually all of the vaccines, contain a material called luciferase. And I don't make this up, it's true. It's called luciferase, a material that glows under special light. It's called SM102 in the ingredient list, and it's used to track things. Now, numerous medical professionals and laboratories around the world have now confirmed that graphene oxide is present in all the COVID-19 injections, up to 99% of the material in the injection. It's not a listed ingredient in any database, and the Vax vendors have all denied that it is in their potions. Isn't that funny? 99% of it is graphene oxide, up to, and they have denied that it's in their potions. Graphene oxide is a toxin. It's a nanoparticle that can be used to construct an operating system. It's very technical, 
it's very scientific. It's very uh, futuristic. But that's it's there. All of the vaccine manufacturers have proudly proclaimed they don't they don't admit that it has that it has uh, they do say it has luciferase. They do not admit that it has graphene oxide, but they do proudly say that all of these potions contain genetic modification technologies. And this is the new future of vaccines. So let's look at the word COVID again and let's put it, uh, let's reverse it. Let's, let's go backwards. Instead of COVID, we get D-I-V-O-C. Satan just loves to be clever. In Hebrew, it actually means something. Hebrew. It means possession by an evil spirit. A related Yiddish word, dibuk, it uh, sounds similar to it, but it, it's not divok, but it's dibuk, but it's related to it. It's spelled a little differently. It means the dislocated soul of a dead person or a malicious possessing spirit. And I'm sure these are just coincidences. Um, the word corona, as you know, coronavirus, it contains six letters. The numerical position of the six letters, when added together, equals 66. You know, A is equal to 1, B is equal to 2. You add those, those letters and you come up with 66. So it has six letters that total 66, and you put the three together and you get what? Oh, 666. I'm sure that's a coincidence because Satan just loves to have coincidences. Now, do something fun. Try to come up with a word that equals 666 and see how easy it is, especially one that means a crown of victory. Now, the stated purpose of the globalists is to create a cloud of everything. You should read, you know, Klaus Schwab. He'll, he'll take you all through that and take any of his books. But pretty much all these globalists, they always are talking about the cloud. They love the cloud. Everything's going to be in the cloud. You know, you've, you've heard the cloud. We upload things into the cloud all the time. This has a lot of significance to human bodies, uh, the cloud, but for now, let's just focus on the word cloud and not on, on how it you know, interacts with the bodies. The cloud is Satan's forgery of God's cloud. God's cloud being the Shekinah glory. That's the cloud that manifests as God in the Bible when he makes an appearance, especially the Old Testament. The globalists want to transfer our consciousnesses into the cloud. That's one of their stated goals. They, that's how they live forever. They want to take our consciousness, take our thoughts, and move it into the cloud to give us much more power of our thoughts and all kinds of capabilities that we don't presently have. In Ephesians 2, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. How do we connect to the cloud? Most of the time, it's via microwaves. You may not think of it that way, but when you send signals around the world or you send signals from your cell phone or from most devices, they're going via microwave to some, something like a cell tower. And then from the routers that route things, they do it through microwaves. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Microwaves connect all of our devices to the cloud through the air. So that's a lot of information. That's a, a lot of coincidences about the little simple thing COVID-19 in this crazy world that's going on. Well, this crazy world is happening because people are doing things and people are people in positions of power. And those people in positions of power are doing things that have not been done, at least in the United States, have not been done much before. And so it would pay to find out a little bit about maybe who these people are and um, what they think and where they came from. 
We need to see the things that Satan is doing in the world. We need to see how he exposes himself and the people who are involved with him. We need to see the extent to which he controls society in order to know what it is that we're supposed to be doing as Christians. So until next week, pray that God will allow me to keep my regular job for a while so I can keep doing this. Underground Christian can be heard on Podbeam, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Podcasts. I'm working on getting it on some others. If you want to contact me, please send an email to undergroundchristian at outlook.com. I'll respond as soon as I can. If you wish to help with the podcast in some way, please let me know in an email. But I appreciate you just for listening to each episode. Until next time, keep your eyes up, your head down, and if it's in your heart, make yourself available to do the work of God. But if it's not in your heart, ask God for a new one. Mm -hmm.